Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning into the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host, Steve uh, Butler, and my co-host on the show this evening is Tim Bitt from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Clinton Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for you tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by 11 and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We would ask you to take up your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show. At 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call at Steve B's Media Production at Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, Please feel free to contact now, folks. Connect your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray to be my co-host on the show this evening, Dr. Frank Washington and Tim Finch, as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. Also, my co-host Steve Cordo, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you'll bless them and their families that support their efforts that they may continue to sow the seed 
of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked. And it will cause them to consider their eternal stance before you and their soul's salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, thank you so much for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For we recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Well, even now, we ask that you forgive us. For the transgressions of our own heart, we know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of your will. For we pray to you continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And we have been faithful unto death. For we pray that you would save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening in the first segment will be Dr. Frank Washington. He serves with the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shout-out platform on social media, Facebook. I'll be posing to my co-host, Steve Cordo. Steve serves as the evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. And he'll be answering our question. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Tim Bench, he serves at the Oham Lane Church of Christ there in Abilene, Texas. And he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, this one should be that of my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Oh, the blessed gospel light. 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host dr frank washington and his subject where god is taking you everyone cannot go thank you brother stevie b again uh, god is good and his mercy is everlasting uh, i want to Thank you again for taking the time, uh, the general public, for uh, listening to our program today, tonight. Uh, We hope, trust, and pray that we will say something that will um, enlarge the borders uh, of your hearts and minds so that you may be all that you can be uh, for for God. I I did part of this lesson a few weeks ago. I think I want to try to finish it up as, as best I can. Uh, and it begins in Second Kings chapter two. Uh, to summarize, one of the greatest experiences you, as a Christian, will ever receive is to know who to partner with in life. Wrong people can destroy you, but the right people can accelerate you. In this story, Second Kings, God was about to do something new in the life of Elisha. But uh, Elisha first had to take him to, but God had to first take him to a place where the crowd could not go. And this same journey is still true even today. Every time God is about to do something new in your life or my life, whether it be you know, receiving a blessing, going to the next level of Uh, our destiny or or taking with us or taking us into a season uh, of prosperity. God will lead us. He will lead you to a place where the crowd will not be able to go. When God was going uh, to do something new in the life of Moses, he called him to the backside of the desert. When Jacob was at a point of change in his life, he found himself alone wrestling with God. Everybody, me included, everybody 
will not be able to go where God is going to take you. Everybody will not be able to hear what God is about to speak into your life. Everybody will not be able to see what God is about to show you. Now, brothers and sisters, some people will not be able to handle the blessings and the prosperity that God is about to give you. And this is why God is taking you to a place where the crowd can't follow. And this is why he's leading you to the other side of Jordan. God is trying to position you, my brother and my sister. He is getting ready to do in your life. If you're not careful, watch this. If you're not careful, people will mess you up. Uh, We blame the devil for a lot of things that he has nothing to do with, but it's not the devil uh, that has messed up a lot of Christians. It's the people that we associate with that mess us up. Uh, People will mess up our blessing. People will mess up our goals. Uh, They can stop our blessings and even keep us from reaching the next level of our destiny. And there are people who add to your life, and there are those who subtract. There are people who divide, and then there are those who multiply in your life. My advice to you, remove the people who subtract and divide. They're the ones they will show or slow your progress, possibly even stop you from becoming what God uh, has blessed you to become. There are people who may tell you they love you today, but that does not mean uh, they won't turn against you or stab you in the back tomorrow. Some people love being around you as long as you're not a threat to them or their little world that they have. Uh, They like you as long as they feel better and bigger than you. Some people will get angry when God begins to bless you. Some Christians will not celebrate your victories and blessings with you. Some will even become jealous and uh, begin to falsely accuse you. But when this happens, when this happens, don't become sad. Don't get depressed. Don't get anxious. My friends, begin to rejoice. Rejoice. And be glad, because one of the last things that happens before a promotion is you will encounter an enemy. Some people will not understand your blessing. They may ask you, who do you think you are? Well, your answer is going to be this. You're going to tell them that you are a child of the Most High God. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1 and 12 says, but as many as received him to them, Gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You are an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Tell them that. Tell them when they ask you, who do you think you are when you begin to move up? Tell them you are a child of the Most High God. Tell them I serve a God that delights in blessing me. In fact, the God I serve takes pleasure in my life. Now, some people won't understand your blessing, and they may even walk out of your life. However, your reward will be much greater than the pain of their loss. So quit begging people to stay in your life. Quit begging people to stay your friend then and, and care about you. Quit trying to force people to share your dreams and, and your goals. It doesn't matter how attached you, can, you, you may feel to a certain person. It does not matter what they've done for you in the past or how much Uh, You think you can have them in your life to succeed. If they can walk away, get to stepping. Let them walk. That means is 
If a person is not walking in the same level that you're walking in, they don't have the same spirit that you have. Or if their dreams or goals are different than yours, you can't make them stay in your life if they decide to leave. So it doesn't always mean they're a bad person if they walk away from you. Sometimes it simply means that their part in your life story is over. Let me say that again. Their part in your life story, in your destiny, is over. It means God is starting another chapter in your life, and they are not in that new chapter. Amen. Have you ever known when a person's part in, in your life story is over? If you don't, you may spend all your time trying to resurrect a relationship that is dead. So if a person walks away, my friend, you really don't need them in your life in the first place. Amen. God is allowing people to exit your life so you'll be able or you'll be in the proper position to receive the blessing he has destined for you to receive. And when, a per- and when a person leaves your life, don't allow yourself to become bitter. Face the fact. People are going to walk away from you. People are going to leave you. People are going to mess up your life. People will betray you. Betrayal is something that others do to you. But, my friend, bitterness is something you do uh, to yourself. There are people who will walk away from you as you travel the road of your destiny. This is a fact that cannot change. But there are also other people uh, that you will have to walk away from. Let me say that again. There are people who will walk away from you as you travel the road to your destiny. But there are also people that you will have to walk away from. Satan's most successful entry point into a believer's life through another individual. Now, spirits cannot walk, so they must attach themselves to a person close to you. Then, when that person comes to where you are, they bring those spirits with them. And some people are nothing but carriers of heck. I, can't, I don't want to say the other word. But there's a high price of having the wrong person in your life. Please don't have the wrong person in your life. Learn from the life of Jesus. Jesus refused to let anybody into his world. He preached to the multitude, had 70 disciples, but he only had 12 chosen disciples. And out of that 12, he had an inner circle of three. You know who those three were? Peter, James, and John. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time with the multitudes. He didn't even spend a lot of time with the 70 disciples. He spent most of his time with the 12, especially with the three, Peter, James, and John, in his inner circle. Jesus did not impart impart into everyone. He mainly imparted into the 12, and especially his inner circle guys, Peter, James, and John. So my advice to you is uh, turn your haters into elevators. Don't let your haters pull you down. Instead, make them your stepping stone so that you can take a higher place uh, and receive your blessing Uh, And your glory Just like in the life of Jesus When he got ready to enter into the next level of his destiny His friendship circle began to change Your friendship circle will also change When God is about to do something new in your life Remember, everybody will not be able to go where God is taking you 
Everybody will not be able to hear what God is going to speak to you. Everybody will not be able to see what God is about to show you. And many people will not be able to handle the blessings that God is about to give you. So to grow means to outgrow. You don't wear the same size shoes today that you wore when you were five years old. To grow means to outgrow. You don't wear the same size clothes today that you wore when you were 12. When you grow, you outgrow. And this is what happens to you. This is what happens to you, friends, in some of our relationships. You have outgrown some people that you've had in your life for weeks, for months, even years. But you have to now let them go. You got to let them go so you can enter the next level of your life, of your destiny. Don't allow people that refuse to grow in God stop you from your progress. They're simply not worth it. God told Abram to disconnect from his family so that he could bless him in a greater way than he had ever known before. God told Abram, for me to bless you in the manner that I want to bless you to make some changes. God said, I want to bless you so much that the whole earth will call you blessed. But first, listen to me, Abram. First, you're going to have to separate yourself from your kindred, your father's house, and even leave your country. But why did God tell Abram to leave his own family? Well, he told him to leave his own family because they had a belief system that Regardless of what people say your dreams and goals are about to become to pass, 
you are about to go where God has said you will go. You are about to become who God said you would become. You are about to have what God said you would have. You are about to step into your destiny, my brother and my sister. Your appointed time has arrived. This is your greatest day. This is your greatest hour. This is your greatest moment. God is now turning the page in your life story, and a new chapter is being written just for you. Now, the devil does not have the power to stop all this. Your enemies don't have control over your future. Your destiny is in the hands of God. Where you are at is not your end. The pit was not the end for Joseph. Egypt was not the end for Israel. The fiery furnace was not the end for the three Hebrew boys. The lion's den was not the end for Daniel. And greatest of all, the tomb was not the end for Jesus. These were just places and things that they had to go through so they could get to their their end. Everybody likes to have people in their world. But sometimes on the journey to your destiny, destiny, the crowd with you is small. Sometimes if there's nobody to talk to, uh, you have to just talk to yourself. If you have nobody to pray for you, you have to pray for yourself. If you need a word and there's nobody to give you that word, you have to get that word yourself. You know, I've learned that I can pray, I can preach, I can sing, I can talk, I can get that word, and sometimes even lay hands on myself. Amen. But there are also times when you have to do what David did, and that is, Encourage himself David in in 1 Samuel 30 In verse number 6 And David was greatly distressed For the people spake of stoning him Because the soul of all the people was grieved Every man for his sons And for his daughters But David encouraged himself Watch this David encouraged himself In the Lord his God Brothers and sisters Sometimes you will feel that Nobody understands what you're going through As you move towards your destiny There'll be times that you feel like giving up. There'll be nobody to encourage you. What do you do in times like these? Well, encourage yourself. Don't expect anybody to understand what you're going through. Don't expect everybody to speak words of encouragement. It's not going to happen. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God during the times when you're discouraged, during the times when things aren't going right, during the times of trials, during the times of tests. Don't allow everybody to speak into your life. Don't allow everybody that, you know, claims to know God, you know, give you words to live by. Don't allow everybody uh, to say things to you. Protect yourself. Protect your dreams. Protect your goals. Watch who you allow to impart things into your life. Some people will impart fear into your life instead of faith. Some people, even sometimes so-called men and women of God, operate under a bad spirit. And when they minister to you, they will impart their bad spirit into your spirit. And so you need people in your life who are godly, people who are stable, not people who win. One day they blow this way and the next day they blow another way. One day they say one thing and the next day they say something totally different. One day they believe in you and the next day they don't. One day they're for you and the next day they are against you. You need people in your life 
that you can trust. Amen? You need people in your life that you uh, can trust. I want to leave you behind with, but if I have to, I will. Elijah and Elisha crossed the Jordan alone. Uh, Friends, there are secrets that God wants to reveal to you, but he can't as long as you have too many other voices speaking into your life. There are places that God wants to take you, but he can't as long as you allow people to hold you back. There are blessings that God wants to give you, but he can't as long as people have a stronger influence in your life than God does. So once Elijah and Elijah crossed the Jordan, a chariot of fire, horses of fire appeared, and Elijah was taken up into the heavens by a whirlwind. When Elijah was taken up into the heavens by a whirlwind, the sons of prophets who had been trained under Elijah's ministry were not there. The multitudes that uh, he had preached to and had ministered to were not there. The only one that had faithfully stayed with Elijah was Elisha. And the Bible says, and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into pieces. He took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. The mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smoked the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Because Elisha was willing to walk away from the sons of the prophets and go where they were not willing to go, he received the things he desired so much. And that was a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Any of the sons of the prophets could have been there to pick the mantle up, but they chose to view from afar. They even tried to stop Elijah from following Elijah. But Elisha was determined to stay with Elijah regardless of the cost. Elisha simply walked away from the sons of the prophet and crossed the Jordan without them. If you have to walk away from people to get to the place where God is calling you, my friends, brothers, and sisters, start walking. Once you get to the place God is calling you and receive all that God has promised you, you will be so glad and rejoice that you did. Nobody, and I repeat, nobody is worth losing your destiny over. Regardless of how bad you want people to go with you, regardless of how bad you think people want to be in your life, Regardless, remember, everybody can't go where God is taking you. Stay in God's grip. Thank you. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. 
Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. These are the announcements for the events and activities in the Churches of Christ. If you'd like to have your events and activities announced on this radio broadcast, you can send your email to my new email address, Brother C1009 at yahoo.com, or give me a call, Steve B. Me, the best in Caroline Studio, at 910-491-6405. On Thursday, from 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 9 p.m. Central Standard Time and 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, there'll be a nationwide gospel call that's sponsored by the Church of Christ in Highland Heights of Houston, Texas. And the telephone number is called is 857-216-6700. And access code is 328-497. This is a nationwide outreach to those who are not members of the Churches of Christ. And the speakers will be presenting a basic salvation message for them to learn that they're doing not to be saved as well as information regarding the Churches of Christ. It's also intended to edify and strengthen the faith of those who are Christians. On Tuesday evening each week from 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, the Democrat Church of Christ in San Antonio, Texas, presents the Women's Virtual Bible Class, and this class will be held on www.zoom.com. Class ID number is 821-369282. Daily at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time, the Ladies in Christ Prayer Line, hosted by Church of Christ in Lafayette, Louisiana. And the telephone number for this prayer line is 605-472-5203. And the access code is 514-859. My co-host here on the Gospel Light Radio show, Steve Cole, has a new book entitled God, Grace, and You. And you can order this book on at the 21st Century Christian Catalog. Stevie B's Lesson presents with Aaron live shows here on Blog Talk Radio, and we have a new two new productions that will air on the third Tuesday of the month and the fourth Tuesday of the month on that Tuesday night show for the Word of the Lord Radio Show. The Mid-Tuesday Singles Ministry from Nashville, Tennessee will air every third Tuesday of the month, and the Kelly Fletcher Show will air every fourth Tuesday of the month, and both of these shows will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And just a program reminder, Stephen Lee's new production presents we're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. And the live the number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the the type in the search bar for the um, for the website for the broadcast is www.broad blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show and that'll bring you to the live show while we're on the air on Tuesday evening now we have changed our schedule for the show what will be our radio show every first Tuesday of the month there will be no show scheduled every second Tuesday of the month we have a special guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ we'll also have a community corner segment for small business entrepreneurs, and we'll also have one of my co-hosts speaking on that show on Tuesday, that second Tuesday of the month. Then the third Tuesday, we have the Mid-Tennessee Singles that will air at 7 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time, and then the fourth Tuesday we will have the Kelly Fletcher Show. And then on Thursday evening each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I go to the live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have eight co-hosts who will be presenting messages from the Word of God on this broadcast. And I have two of my co-hosts who will be on the air with me each week. I also have a question that I'm taking from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. And we'll be posing this question to one of my co-hosts on the air. And then on Friday night at our new time, from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'll be hosting the live show, Stevie B, Acapella Gospel Music, Blast Radio Show. And on this broadcast, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, The Sweet Sounds of Voices. And we also do the Story Glory segment. We try to do that segment every first Friday of the month. And on this Friday night, October 22nd, my special guest on that show will be Curtis Williamson from Nashville, Tennessee. He has a new CD just releasing. And we're going to debut some of that music on the blast this Friday night. And on October 29th, next Friday night, my special guest will be Wesley, I'm sorry, Irvin C. Jackson from Wesley Chapel, Florida. Irvin, we try to have Irvin on that broadcast at least once a month because he's been lately been releasing so much music. So we try to bring him on at least once a month to debut some of his music on that broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, if you cannot catch any of these live shows here on Blog Talk Radio, we always try to encourage our listeners to go to the various musical music platforms where you can listen to these podcasts. These podcasts, uh, we have over 600 podcasts, ladies and gentlemen. We've been on there since 2016. So there's a lot of content there if you're interested in the, problem, the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ. There's just so much for you to feast on on those various platforms. And some of the major platforms I always like to announce on this radio show that people are familiar with to listen to these podcasts on Spotify, um, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube. That's just to name a few. There's just many more out there. I like to uh, give a shout out to all of my sponsors. I have a new sponsorship manager for these sponsors. If you like to sponsor any of these radio shows, just contact my sponsorship manager. My name is Michelle Marco from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. I'd like to give a shout-out to my sponsors because we really do appreciate them. And some of these sponsors I have now have been with me from the very beginning that when we started this radio broadcast. Cheryl Norwood, she's from Chicago, Illinois. But uh, there's a memorial from the Director of Crematory Services from uh, DeSoto, Texas. Uh, Stanley Phillips from Little Rock, Arkansas. Cheryl Murrah from Charlotte, North Carolina. Yvonne Blazing Cracker Duke from Nashville, Tennessee. Melvin Jackson from High Point, North Carolina. Marquise Hallman from Charlotte, North Carolina. Stephanie Booker Wilson from Greensboro, North Carolina. The First Five Finance Network LLC from Dallas, Texas. Owned as Marcus Charlotte Carroll. And Ordained Faith Publishing from Fort Lauderdale. Florida. The three E's of Stephen B. Media Production is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. Just stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because we have a shout-out question that's coming up next after the break. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. There's a story of an old sister who would come to church every Sunday. It was pain aching in her body. 
see a struggle from the back of the church all the way to the front pew. Sometimes with tears streaming from her eyes. And one day, one of those young sisters got beside us. And she told that old sister, sister, if you're in so much pain, why don't you just turn around and just stay home sometimes? That old sister just held her Bible close and said these words. As I read the story of old, and I look at old man Joe, she lost everything that he had in just one day. Now can't you see him as he spoke with his wife, when she said you ought to curse your God and Jack. Can imagine with tears in his eyes, I can hear Joe say, I won't let Though he slay me, I'm still gonna trust the No sickness, no sorrow, no pain. See, this is what I've learned. You see, when time in life gets hard. Before I take it back, I'll add more stuff about those Hebrew boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the king said, better bow down before that image that day. Well, those boys were scared of the fire. Hey, they looked the king dead in the eyes. With no fear. Hey, I can't. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out, question. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out, and we uh, want to pose this question to one of my co-hosts, uh, Robert Lee Johnson from uh, New Horizon Church of Christ Bear in Lake City, Florida. Robert, how are you doing this evening? Doing fine, my brother. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Now, Robert, are you live on social media? <laughs> well, I'm happy to know that. Oh, I'm asking, <laughs> are you live on social media? I'm happy to know that I'm live on social media. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're right, asking I'm live. <laughs> yes, I'm live on Facebook, yes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if you would like to get involved in answering some of these questions on that platform on Facebook, shout it out. Just go ahead and join that group and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, Robert, we have a question from Anonymous Quarters from the state of Illinois. And they have a statement before they ask their question. And the statement reads, I often hear people quote this verse to infer that they don't have to attend worship services at a building. They say as long as they are meeting with two or three people, they are following the Lord's commandments. And the scripture right. reference that's used is Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Now, here is the question. Please explain this verse if I am wrong with my assertion. What say you to this question? Okay, I'm ready for it. Did you hear the question? No, okay. Are you ready for me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, thank you, Stevie. Uh, This is a great uh, question. All of these questions are very good. And uh, many times we feel frustrated that uh, many people do not often see uh, every passage the same way. And I I think that's sort of, um, you know, that's that's not always a good thing, but then it may not always uh, be a bad thing. And in particular, if um, the person who is striving to understand uh, the Word of God is not, intentionally uh, trying to deceive himself or someone else. So it takes a lot of study and understanding, and uh, sometimes it it takes us to uh, admit that we're not right uh, every time we uh, pick up the Bible uh, on these issues or, or matters. And so if we use a little love, in our um, understanding and meeting and greeting one another, I think I think we'll be okay. So I want to approach the question uh, from this particular uh, standpoint, and I would say, does Matthew eighteen twenty sanction personal assemblies? And I think this is a very good question. It's a great question, and I think we have to uh, approach it from that particular uh, perspective. Uh, we are not um, uh, perfect in our understanding of the Word of God, and we often make mistakes, and we often see things uh, differently, as I've stated before. But let me look at the passage, and then we will proceed 
to try to answer the uh, question as best as we can. If you don't agree with my conclusion, don't be mad with me because uh, I don't know how to answer everything to satisfy everybody. But I can say the best that I can say uh, when dealing with God's uh, holy will and God's holy way. So in Matthew 18:20, uh, the Bible says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst uh, of them. And these questions have come in many fashions and, and, and many forms, and they come fast, they come quick, and they come often. Here is another uh, question that is similar to the one that I'm answering uh, today. Could you explain Matthew 18:20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, there am I in the midst of them. I have friends who frequently do not attend any church assembly on the Lord's day. Uh, when concern is expressed regarding this neglect, they respond, Oh, anywhere two or three are gathered, uh, the Lord is with them. I am frustrated with this excuse, uh, but I don't know exactly what to say. In return, so this guy is also frustrated by uh, the fact that many people will raise uh, this question and point to this scripture and say, "Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them." So, so does God allow personal assemblies uh, when we uh, are just wanting to get together or when we want to escape? Uh, the New Testament uh, worship service, uh, is it okay uh, for son and, 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 and daughter and wife and husband to just uh, get together? Uh, is it okay for friends sometimes to just stray away from the assembly uh, when they have something else to do and then say that there's a personal assembly uh, set up and so designed uh, for us to meet, and God says he will be in the midst of us. Let us look at the word of God as we attempt uh, to try to answer this question today. Uh, this, this answer comes like this. The manner in which your friends are employing this text from Matthew's gospel uh, record reflects a loss uh, a less than serious uh, commitment to the Lord and a mishandling of the scriptures. I am uh, in total agreement with that. And so, uh, you know, if we mishandle the word of God intentionally, friends, uh, we're going to have some gate trouble. And we ought not to uh, forsake the assembly, to forsake the will of God, uh, so we can have uh, social activity and to socialize uh, with other people. The first thing that I will look at is this. What is the background of Matthew 18 and verse number 20? What is the background of this passage? 
And when we look at the background of the passage, I'm sure that this will help us uh, to have uh, a better understanding as to how this uh, question can be answered. First of all, uh, the background of this scripture in the section that begins with verse 15, Jesus introduced a theoretical case in which a disciple is wronged by a Christian brother. How is the matter to be remedied if possible? So uh, we, before you can understand a scripture, you have to look at the uh, scriptures around that particular scripture. And that's called context. Now, first let us see the text as a whole and then note some constituent elements of this particular text. And if your brother sins against you, said Jesus, go show him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, but if he does not listen to you, take with you one or two more uh, that at the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word may be established. And if he refuses to listen to them, uh, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church also, let him uh, be to you as the Gentiles and the tax collector. Uh, verily I say unto you, whatever you shall bind on earth must have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth must have been loosed in heaven. Again, Jesus said, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth concerning anything uh, they shall ask, it should be done uh, for them uh, by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I, Jesus says, in the midst of them. That's Matthew 16, uh, 15 through 20, contextually as we look at uh, the scripture today. Now, for convenience sake, let's look at these scriptures, and I want to break down uh, some important words and um, uh, to help us along the way. Now, show him his error. That's what Jesus says. Show him his error. The offended party, and nearly everybody has somebody that they offend. You can offend people so easily today. If you agree with them politically, you might be all right. But if you disagree politically, then somebody is offended. People get offended about a lot of different things, you know. So the offended party is to approach the transgressor and show him his error. Uh, and so when you do that, your understanding is, to show the person what he has done, that is, provide evidence uh, in which 
you are showing him that he has done you wrong. So the charge of having having been wrong must be one of verifiable substance. Uh, You see, not a mere uh, perception. Sometimes, like I said, people get their feelings hurt, and they say, well, you hurt my feelings. And many times people don't even know that the person's feeling was hurt. I remember not too long ago. Uh, I had a person as a mentor, and in a training session, uh, she went. She went back and told uh, the instructor, "Say, well, Robert offended me. I was trying to help him, but he offended me. I had no idea in the world that I had offended the lady. Uh, but it was a situation where I was trying to learn some uh, elements of of the teaching program, and and uh, I did say to the woman that." I understand I got this. And because I said that and she was trying to help me, she got a little <laughs> offended. But I apologized, and um, she gave me a hug, and everything was, was good. So when people do you wrong, you're supposed to go to them. Don't go to everybody in Chicago. Don't go to everybody in Atlanta and tell them what the problem is. The Bible says go tell the individual. Now, what we do, oftentimes we make it worse because we don't follow the instructions of our Lord. So this must be a private uh, correction. The offender is to be addressed privately, likely, uh, so that no unnecessary embarrassment is brought upon the guilty party. You know, it's so easy when it's just one person on another person, just one and one. Instead of 10 and 1, instead of 20 and 1, you don't tell 20 people about it before you go and tell the person who uh, you say offended you. That's not right, and that's not the way that God would have us to handle this situation. As I stated earlier, it ought to be uh, a private matter and should thus be handled in that particular way. Now, not only is, is that the case, but the Bible says that we're to not just make one effort, we're to make a second effort. So if the offender resists uh, his aggrieved brother's advance, a second attempt is to be made. And this time the Bible says it is to be done in, in a company of witnesses. So someone is to be there to verify what really happened. You know, people say, well, why should someone else be there? I, I, I tell the truth. Well, all people think that they tell the truth, but sometimes we don't really tell the truth. So we make a second effort. Uh, it says, take someone else with you, uh, that every word may be established uh, before these witnesses. And then if that doesn't work, the Bible says, tell it unto the church. And so now it has become uh, an open situation uh, and where the church is sought uh, to ask and seek advice on this important situation. So if it is the case that the second stage of the disciplinary action is resisted either overtly or by merely ignoring the pleading, the issue is then to be laid before the whole church. Surely the pressure of the corporate group will prevail with any person who has 
uh, a respectable level of conscience. Uh, you know, these things we are we are not to enter into lightly. So when an, when an accusation is made, we should really be trying uh, to settle that issue. First of all, one-on-one, and then take uh, other people with you, and then if, it is not, if it's not settled the second time, then the Bible says, tell it unto the church. Uh, some, however, are incorrigible. In such circumstances, a single recourse remains. The church is obliged to withdraw its fellowship from the rebel. In other words, if you if 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 if, if you offend someone and they come to you, and and you and the guy cannot settle it one on one, then you're to bring other witnesses. If 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 the other witnesses along with you cannot settle it, then the Bible says, tell it unto the church. And so now the whole church must use all of its mental and spiritual wisdom and power to try to get you to see that what you've done is wrong. Now, if you turn away from that, from, from, from these people who are striving to, to help you to see that you have wronged someone, if you refuse to hear the church, then the Bible says that you ought to be uh, treated as a heathen man. And so uh, the withdrawal of fellowship would be in order. Now, Jesus then made remarks about binding and loosing as such pertain to the topic of church discipline. The verbal forms indicate that in the matter of this fellowship, the binding and loosing, uh, the enactment of discipline, or the removal thereof must be in conformity with what is being described in heaven and made known through apostolic instruction. That is the Bible. And we have the Bible to settle these issues. So, you know, you just can't refuse to listen to the word of God, refuse to listen to people when they tell you that they have been offended. And, and the first thing we say is, well, I didn't offend anyone. But you may have. As I did not know I had offended that young lady, but I, I listened to uh, the people who talked with me, and I went to her, I apologized to her, and uh, we gave each other a Christian hug, and that was the end of it. I mean, it didn't have to go any further, because when I was informed that I had offended her, I didn't know that I had offended her, but I did what I could to straighten it out, and really... Uh, we had a good uh, ending to that particular uh, situation. So problems can be resolved, and problems will be resolved if we listen to the Lord and if we use uh, the conditions that God uh, gave to us. So then, Jesus made remarks about binding and loosing, as I said earlier. Uh, discipline, therefore, is never to be attempted for arbitrary or personal reasons, but strictly in harmony with the New Testament word of God. And I think sometimes we, in the church, because of personal friendships, uh, because uh, we want to satisfy, maybe it's that member that, gives more money than anybody else. I don't know. But sometimes we don't do right. 
And when we don't do right, then problems are the result of that. And so uh, Jesus gives us, uh, of course, the remedy as to how uh, these situations are to be handled. Now, let me go a little further before I get to the question. The promise of Jesus' presence. The Lord concludes this discussion by suggesting that when the church is gathered together for the purpose of formalizing a case of discipline, listen to me now, he himself will be there. Jesus says, I'll be there. He sanctions the actions with his own presence just as he joins his saints. In the communion service, Jesus says, I'll be there. In verse 19 of Matthew uh, chapter 18, uh, we find there that verse 19 may be designed to inoculate against timidity in carrying out the courageous act of this fellowship. I mean, it's, it's hard to withdraw from people. It's one of the hardest things to, to do today. And many churches will not withdraw from anyone because they are afraid of the results. Even if only two or three have the fortitude uh, to implement this procedure, Jesus says, I will accompany them. Loving discipline needs to be enacted when the circumstances dictate such. Even if weak brethren will not throw their support behind the action. Many in the church will not support church discipline. So that becomes a real problem. Because when people need to be disciplined, the church needs to stand together. The church needs to stand up. Now, here is the point that we wanted to get to. So the Bible says that this must be done by Christ's authority. Listen to me now. Finally, there is the phrase, gather together in my name. The preposition in derives from the Greek word ace, which in this case is virtually the equivalent of the term in. Uh, this sense, thus, is by the authority of Christ. In other words, what we're doing is by the authority of Christ. Or as R.C.H. Linsky noted, in my name. It's the same as in connection with my revelation. And so the Christians are to uh, join together in this act of disfellowshipping of a brother or sister who will not walk consistently in the message of God. Now, my conclusion is this. Uh, the outline that I've given you above sketches the fair import of this sacred instruction from the Son of God. By no stretch of the imagination was the Savior's suggestion uh, that several church members may, de may decide to forsake the Lord's Day Assembly and instead gather themselves together on the golf course, on a fishing bank, or at a picnic, and then say that the Lord is with us. We took the Lord's Supper. We, we sung a song, and, and uh, we even took up money and brought it back uh, to the Lord's people. 
That's not what this scripture is saying. This scripture is saying that if you do the will of God, that I will be with you. So where two or three are uh, gathered, there I will be in the midst of them does not allow one to skip the services of the church and have an extra service or have a service with those who decided that they wouldn't go to church that Sunday and such is pleasing in the sight of God. I just do not believe that for a moment. Christ was dealing with the uh, disfellowshipping of one who refused uh, to submit to the discipline of the church. He is not sanctioning. He is not saying that you can have separate services outside of the Lord's people and God will come in and sanction that. Such attempts to manipulate the Holy Scriptures for frivolous purposes are shameful uh, uh, travesties that bring no credit to those who so employ them. So please don't use this scripture to try to suggest that God is okay with you skipping church and having a service uh, somewhere out in the woods because you're out there on a hunting party party and God finds that to be acceptable. I do not think that is right. I do not think the import of uh, these scriptures are suggestive of that at all. Now, if you have a problem with my answer, you can call me and talk to me. My telephone number is 662-549-8041. So what are you saying, Brother Johnson? I'm saying no, there is no authority for men of God to skip the local church services and meet in another service and um, and such is acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, maybe I could have done better, but I did the best that I could today. And if that is not acceptable, run that question back, and Stephen will have someone else to answer that. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Remember that God loves you, and Brother Johnson does too. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs> Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I know, Lord, I know the Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh, yeah. Yes, he will. I know the Lord. I know the Lord. He'll take care. Call on you and you step in right time. Oh yeah. I know the Lord. Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh yeah. When Lord, I'm trying. 
Every day to walk in the right way. My, my, my. It gets hard. Hard on this road. It gets so rough. listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm a co-host, Tim Bench, from the Oham Lane Church of Christ. Good evening to our audience. As Stevie mentioned, my name is Tim Bench, and I'm calling tonight from Abilene, Texas, And as always, it is a pleasure to be with you, and we're certainly thankful for the listeners that we have across the United States and across the globe. My topic for tonight is to pluck out your own eye. Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6 feature the most well-known and famous sermon 
in the entire Bible. And this sermon would become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And for 2,000 years across multiple continents, for hundreds of millions of people, this sermon has provided a glimpse into the teachings, the purpose, and the expectations of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus' directives and words in this sermon provide the very framework of Christianity itself, specifically on instructing followers how to conduct their lives. Many of these directives are and were hard to follow. They are contrary to both Old Testament dogma as well as to natural inclinations of mankind. To retaliate, for example, against an enemy or to lust or to focus on material wealth, all of, the, all of these are things that we normally just slide into doing. The Sermon on the Mount has become perhaps the most well-known and influential section of the entire Bible. And you've got historical uh, characters such as Leo Tolstoy and Martin Luther King Jr. who have formulated and attributed their entire belief systems to the Sermon on the Mount. This is from John MacArthur, quote, The sanctuary for the greatest sermon ever preached was the mountain. As far as we know, this mountain, really a large hill, had no name until Jesus preached there. Until then, it had been one of many hills that slope up gently from the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. What had been simply a mountain among many other mountains now became the mountain, sanctified and set apart by the presence of the Lord. For many centuries, the traditional site has been called the Mount of Beatitudes, end quote. And from Hewlin Jackson, this is the Abilene Christian College Lectures back in 1938, quote, Take the Sermon on the Mount and place it as one of the greatest pieces of literature on record and no doubt the most sublime sermon ever delivered, end quote. The effects of this sermon cannot be overestimated. It's arguably the most powerful world-changing sermon ever offered, and countless theologians and church fathers and scholars and preachers and Christians have studied its messages and delved into its teachings as we are going to do tonight ourselves. Multiple verses of this sermon have become foundational cornerstones of Christianity. Let's go all the way back to St. Augustine in the 5th century. Quote, If anyone will piously and soberly consider the sermon which our Lord Jesus Christ spoke on the mount as we read it in the gospel according to Matthew, I think that he will find in it, so far as regards the highest morals, a perfect standard of the Christian life, end quote. This is from John Donne in 1629. This shows how this sermon has been admired through the centuries, quote, All the articles of our religion, all the canons of our church, all the injunctions of our princes, all the homilies of our fathers, all the body of divinity is in these three chapters in this one Sermon on the Mount, end quote. This is from Restoration Quarterly back in 1969, quote, Few pieces of literature have ever been more highly regarded by so many as the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, end quote. And from David Lipscomb, one of the formative and dominant influences in Church of Christ history. This is from uh, the Gospel Advocate back in 1911. Quote, 
every spiritual system as a standard of excellence to which it proposes to bring man, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, gives the theory and rules of life to attain that standard. The principles laid down in the Sermon on the Mount live up to as Jesus did. This would produce the life he lived. That sermon is the perfection and consummation of the gospel of God to the world. To teach and preach these truths and principles to man is to bring the gospel in its fullness to man, end quote. And continuing from Lipscomb, this is from the Gospel Advocate, March 28, 1912, quote, Our present and eternal peace depend upon doing what God commands in this sermon, end quote. The Sermon on the Mount contains some of the most astonishing and challenging words of Jesus found in the entire New Testament. Tonight we're going to study two particular verses, both spoken by Jesus Christ, the importance, the eternal importance of which cannot be overstated. So if you have your Bibles handy, we're going to read this together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. And if your right eye offend you, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's profitable for you that one of your members should perish, and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offend you, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish, and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. Very similar wording to this appears in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48. Let's read that together. If your hand offend you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into that fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot offend you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye offend you, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. For some readers of the Bible, as well as some opponents of the Bible, these scriptures may be vague, confusing, or even nonsensical. Are we to literally sever our own body parts if and when a body part causes us to sin? If not, why not? What do these verses mean? Was Jesus being literal, or was he being figurative in his speech in these instances? And how do we apply these verses to our lives some 2,000 years removed from their writing. Over the centuries, there have indeed been very dedicated, devout Christians who have applied these verses very literally and have argued that these verses are literal. From Origen of Alexandria to Boston Corbett, the Union soldier who shot John Wilkes Booth in 1865, there are dozens of examples of those who would and have maimed themselves to, quote, prevent sin. Actions based on a literal interpretation of Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. So tonight, let's set the stage, so to speak, <coughs> excuse me, for the environment and the circumstances and the audience which would have heard these words of Jesus, would have heard these teachings of Jesus. 
the audience that Jesus was speaking to would have been very familiar with the imagery of gouging out of their eyes from the Old Testament and from Jewish culture. When the Philistines sought to subjugate Samson, they not only cut off his hair, rendering him as weak as any other man, but they also put out his eyes, according to Judges chapter 16, verse 21. We read, But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. When Nebuchadnezzar subjugated Zedekiah, he blinded his captive. Second Kings 25, verse 7 reads, And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 7, Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. Jeremiah 52, 11, Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him into prison until the day of his death. Joshua chapter 23, verse 13, Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua encouraged the people to hold firm to their faith in God with the warning that otherwise the nations of Canaan would become like the slave driver's whip or the thorns used to blind people. The assumed inability of the blind to fight also provides the the basis behind the taunts of the Jebusites, that the lame and the blind would keep David out of Jerusalem. From 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6, The king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which speak unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, they shall not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. So the horror of having one's eyes gouged out or plucked out would have been very familiar and very daunting to largely Jewish audiences, and this is who Jesus was speaking to. Likewise, the severing of a person's hands would be a very familiar concept to a first-century audience as well. In 51 BC, Caesar besieged 2,000 rebellious Gauls, And having eventually seized the town, he turned his attention to those that he had captured alive. This is from the Gaelic Wars. Quote, while granting them their lives, he cut off the hands of all who had borne arms to testify the more openly the penalty of evil doers. End quote. Hertius provides a bit more background to this event, suggesting that Caesar felt assured, quote, that his clemency was notorious, and he had no fear that any measures which he might be forced to adopt would be misunderstood. He determined, therefore, to inflict upon the garrison a punishment so appalling that all malcontents should in future remain quiet. He would not put his prisoners to death, because if he did, their fate, though it might be talked of for a time, would soon be forgotten. They were to remain as a living warning to intended rebels." He ordered their hands to be cut off and sent them forth to exist as they best might, end quote. 
in 141 B.C. Quintus Maximus, governor of the province of Spain, captured some deserters who had rebelled and gone over to the enemy. So, what was his reaction? He summarily cut off their hands to discourage others from amongst his troops from following their example. Flavius Josephus writes an autobiographical account about how he and 20 Jewish men faced down a large and treacherous Galilean mob, and having secured his house, Josephus invited a representative of the mob to come. The Galilean was then whipped, one hand was cut off, and he was sent back out. Seeing this, the crowd concluded that the Jews had sufficient men with him to impose a similar punishment on all of them, and so they dispersed. And on another occasion, Josephus, in a bid for the support of justice, reminded justice how the Galileans had cut off the hands of justice's own brother because he had been accused of being a rogue. Josephus also describes how at the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD, captive rebel hands were severed before Titus then released them back into the city to terrorize the remaining population. Romans were still using the threat of a severed hand to crush rebellion long after the birth of the church. For example, Constantinus ordered Eusebius, who was the bishop of Samosota, to relinquish a document under threat of losing his right hand should he refuse. And from the Babylonian Talmud, quote, Do not permit your ears to listen to idle chatter because they are the first of the body's organs to be burned. Do not eye another's wealth because it may cast you into heavy darkness and gloom. Let not your feet hurry you to commit sin, lest the angel of death come to meet you. End quote. Early Christian writers discuss the plucking out of or losing the hands and the eyes. Jerome, for example, in 378, equated the right eye and the right hand as the love for family or brethren that might hinder. His exact quote reads as, quote, Therefore, by the right eye and the right hand, we must understand the love of brethren, husbands and wives, parents and kinsfolk, which if we find to hinder our view of the true light, we should sever from us. And John Chrysostom, who lived from 347 to 407, wrote the following, quote, Why then did he mention the right eye and add the hand? to show thee that not of limbs is he speaking, but of them that are near unto us. Thus, if, saith he, thou so lovest any one as though he were instead of a right eye, if thou thinkest him so profitable to thee as to esteem him in the place of a hand, and he hurts thy soul, even these do thou cut off. And see the emphasis, for he saith not, withdraw from him, but to cast the fullness of the separation, pluck it out, saith he, and cast it from thee. The imagery and the representation of the eye and the hand obviously was well known and frequently used before the time of Jesus, during the time of and by Jesus, and it was used after Jesus. Since Jesus is our master teacher and our Messiah and our Savior, what lessons can we draw from these verses, again, to apply to our lives today? Let's start with the first question. Was Jesus being literal that we should sever body parts if and when these body parts cause us to sin? The answer to that would be a categorical no. 
if this was to be read literally, each and every one of us would be a legless, armless, blinded, mute stump, unable to see or to move or to speak or to even function. Think back over your own life. Should a person blind themselves intentionally or permanently for having had a lustful glance at a woman or for looking upon an item of another's person's with envy or with jealousy? Should I then cut off and remove my tongue for ever having an uttered an angry word or a rude comment to another person? Certainly I would need to sever my hands for getting in a fist fight with another person. And since the removal of body parts is for some at least the intended message of Jesus in these verses, should I remove even my own heart since the heart is the source of all evils from a man, according to Mark chapter 7, verse 21. It becomes absurd pretty quickly to apply a literal application to the words of Jesus. So if his words here are not literal, then what are they precisely? What do they mean? How do we apply Jesus' teaching to our lives? And the answer to these questions becomes the focus of our lesson this evening. The basis of Jesus' teaching here is on adultery, but the teaching application can be and is much wider. We should be willing to sacrifice anything in our lives if it causes us to stumble in our pursuit of obedience to the gospel. And I want to emphasize this word, anything. It could be our jobs, it could be our friends, our hobbies, our interests. If there is a factor in your life which causes you to stumble and to sin, then you are to rid yourself of it, whatever that stumbling block may be. It could be secular music, it could be television, it could be sports, it could be Facebook or the Internet or being online at all. Whatever causes us to sin, whatever causes us to lose our focus on Jesus Christ, whatever causes us to be of this world and not merely in this world, should be cut off and severed and removed from our own lives. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the point that Jesus was trying to convey, and this teaching is every bit as important to us now as it was 2,000 years ago. I want to share an excerpt from Albert Barnes' notes on the Bible. Quote, It cannot be supposed that Christ intended this to be taken literally. His design was to teach that the dearest objects, if they cause us to sin, are to be abandoned. That by all sacrifices and self-denials, we must overcome the evil propensities of our nature and resist our wanton imaginations. Some of the fathers, however, took this commandment literally. Our Savior several times repeated this sentiment, end quote. From the Ellicott Commentary for English Readers, quote, the bold severity of this phrase excludes a literal interpretation. The seat of the evil lies in the will, not in the organ or the sense of action. And the removal of the instrument might leave the inward taint unpurified, end quote. In other words, the heart where all evil begins. From A.T. Robertson, quote, Pluck out the eye when it is a snare, cut off the hand, even the right hand. These vivid pictures are not to be taken literally, but powerfully plead for self-mastery, end quote. From the Expositor's Greek Testament, quote, Counsel to the tempted, expressing keen perception of the danger and strong recoil, 
from a sin to be shunned at all hazards, even by excision, as it were, of offending members. The right eye deemed the most precious, 1 Samuel 11, verse 2. Similarly, Matthew 5, verse 30, the right hand, the most indispensable for work. Even these right members of the body must go. But as the remaining left eye and left hand can still offend, it is obvious that these counsels are not meant to be taken literally, but symbolically, as expressing strenuous effort to master sexual passion. Mutilation will not serve the purpose. It may prevent the outward act, but it will not extinguish desire, end quote. From James Burton Kaufman, quote, The location of this verse in the midst of Jesus' teaching on adultery makes the meaning clear. Christ expects his followers to avoid gross sin by keeping the fountain of the heart sweet and clean. That this requires exertion, self-denial, and determination of heroic proportions is seen in the implied comparison of plucking out the right eye. The comparison is valid and is so recognized in medicine, which often amputates an offending member to save the entire physical body. The giving up of cherished sin is far more difficult, but just as necessary for those who would truly enter into life. Charles Spurgeon, quote, Give up the dearest, choicest, and apparently most needful thing if it leads you into sin. Pleasures which block the road to heaven ought to be given up. The same rule that bids you to avoid sin bids you also avoid all that leads to sin. If adultery be forbidden, so also is that glance with which the sin usually begins. We are to turn away our eyes from beholding that which leads to sin, and we are not to touch or taste that which would readily lead us into iniquity. Oh, that we had sufficient derision of character to make short work of everything which tends toward evil. Many persons, when their right eye offends them, put a green shade over it. And when their right hand offends them, they tie it up in a sling. But that is not obeying the command of Christ. He charges you to get rid of everything that would lead you wrong. Make a clean sweep of it. You are wrong enough at your best, so do not permit anything to... to uh, to pertain to you, which would lead you still further astray, end quote. Finally, from Schaff's commentary on the New Testament, quote, the surgeon does not hesitate to amputate a limb if he hopes thereby to save a life. No earthly sacrifice is too great where eternal life is concerned, end quote. The ramifications of allowing the world around us to influence our behaviors and our beliefs and the eternal consequences of doing so, of not cutting off what causes us to stumble, is horrible to contemplate, but it cannot be ignored. This is from the West Palm Beach, Florida Church of Christ. Quote, Notice that the passage teaches us no matter how dear something is to us, if it causes us to stumble, we must cut it off rather than enter into hell. The word that Jesus uses for hell is Gehenna, meaning the Valley of Hinnom. In Jesus' day, this valley was a virtual garbage dump south of Jerusalem. The, the valley had a history of child sacrifices and uncleanness. 
bodies of animals, criminals, and the poor were dumped there. Fires constantly burned and worms constantly fed on the flesh. Jesus says in this passage that hell will be a place like this but different and that the fire there will not be quenched and the worm will not die. This certainly shows the eternal nature of hell, end quote. Questions for us to consider tonight. Is there any pleasure in this world worth losing my soul over for all eternity? Is there any trivial possession in this world, no matter how grand and opulent and rare or expensive it might be, which is more important than our obedience to Christ? Is there anything in any of our lives which is worth keeping in our lives if we know that it causes us to sin and to be thus separated from God? The answers to these questions are simply no, no, and no. The value of being eternally with the Creator makes all of earth's circumstances seem trivial. The value of heaven and its incomprehensible bliss and reward makes all earthly accomplishments and wealth and achievements pale in comparison. And the specter of an eternity in unending, relentless torment should dissuade and terrify each and every one of us from investing ourselves in temporal, inane, earthly pursuits and endeavors. There's nothing in this life worth the loss of salvation. So when Jesus speaks of one's body, whether it be his hand, his foot, his eye, causing one to offend, he was speaking of one's body involving him in a sin. Sin by its nature separates a person from God, Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. It brings as its punishment eternal damnation, according to Romans 6.23. Jesus' point is that anything which will separate us from God and our hope of eternal life is not worth what it ultimately and permanently costs us. From J.W. McGarvey in the Fourfold Gospel, quote, It is better to deny ourselves all unlawful pleasures, even if the denial be as painful and distressing as the loss of a member, end quote. This is from J.W. McGarvey and Pendleton in the Fourfold Gospel in another section. Quote, Jesus here emphasizes the earnestness with which men should seek a sinless life. To this, the whole scripture constrains us by the terrors of hell, and it encourages us by the joys of heaven. The right eye and the right hand and foot were regarded as the most precious Zechariah 11:17, but it's better to lose the dearest thing in life than to lose one's self, to be deprived of all earthly advantage than to be cast into hell. Of course, the Savior does not mean that we should apply this precept literally, since bodily mutilation will not cure sin, which resides in the will and not in the organ of sense or action. A literal exaction of the demands of this precept would turn the church into a hospital. We should blind ourselves by taking care not to look with evil eyes, and we should maim ourselves by absolutely refusing to go forbidden resorts, end quote. This is from Keith Sharp in Truth Magazine back in August of 1978, quote, are there things in your life that cause you to lust? Do you like to dance, go mixed swimming, read lurid magazines, 
listen to filthy music, watch obscene movies and television programs? Is there a social contact that causes temptation? Cast it from your life immediately. No earthly thing is as valuable as your soul. No sacrifice is too great to save your soul. It is better to sacrifice the dearest thing in this life than to lose your soul in hell, end quote. The verses that we've looked at tonight are not isolated. There are other numerous New Testament verses which refer to and deal with the concept of self-denial. And these are often painful and difficult to consider. This is categorically turning one's back to the world around them. But this is a theme which appears repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said unto them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, After me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. There's a term that I want us to consider tonight, and that being the term fleshly lusts. The Greek term is sarkikos, meaning fleshly or carnal desires. The definition from... Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon, having the nature of flesh under the control of the animal appetites, governed by mere human nature, not of the spirit of God. Fleshly lust could include actual lust, but it could also include greed and jealousy and anger and vengeance and a host of other evils on the part of all of us. What causes one person to stumble will inevitably vary widely from another person's pitfalls. A middle-aged man may lustfully desire a younger woman, and a younger woman's desires may be for a position of power and dominance and influence within an organization at any cost. A person possessed by greed might steal and not give it a second thought, while another might be appalled by the very idea of theft, but that same person could be drawn away from God with ease by outburst of his tongue or vile language and even lies told about another Christian. Another may be completely and utterly obsessed with pornographic images on the internet, unable to stem their desire for such visual evils no matter how much he may try. Sin and temptation can appear in a thousand different ways, each of these equally deadly each equally poisonous, and each equally of eternal consequence. From Precept Austin, quote, In Peter, fleshly lusts are personified as a wild animal crouching ready to pounce, as if they were an army of rebels or guerrillas who intend to capture and enslave and destroy the human soul. And the term implies not just antagonism, but a continual aggression that is malicious and ongoing and does not stop. Fleshly lusts wage an incessant search-and-destroy mission against believers. 
The world allures us, and the flesh is the beachhead by which its allurement takes place. And Peter simply says, stay away from it. Don't pander your fleshly desires. They want to destroy you, end quote. One final observation. This is from Charles Spurgeon on the First Peter uh, 2 commentary, quote, Those fleshly lusts belong to this present evil world, but you do not belong to it. You are strangers and pilgrims here. Therefore, feel an absolute alienation towards such things and utter abhorrence of them. Do not even think of them, much less practice them. Abstain from fleshly lusts, for while they injure the body, that's not the worst thing that they do, for they war against the soul. Fleshly lusts always hurt the soul. They do serious injury to the body, but they are contrary to the laws of health. But the main point for you to consider is that they war against the soul. No men or women can ever commit an act of uncleanness of the body without grievously injuring the soul. It leaves a weakness, a defilement, a wound, a scar upon the soul. So God, may God graciously keep it from us altogether, end quote. Questions which we need to consider personally tonight. Are there things that you need to pluck from your own life, things which need to be removed from your life, stumbling blocks which separate you or distract you or mislead you or draw you into error and away from Jesus Christ? Has the denial of your own selfish wants and needs slowly over time descended into apathy? You no longer really care, replaced by a focus on what you want versus what Jesus wants. Again, and we've said this several times, there is nothing in this world which is important enough or valuable enough to stand between you and God. Nothing which we should allow to derail our focus and our efforts and our heart and our relentless obedience to Jesus Christ. Do you have friends who seem to tempt you into sin and into apathy? And if you do, sever those friendships. Does TV or music cause you to sin and draw you into worldly interests and thoughts? If so, discard that television. Does your job cause you to act and behave in immoral ways, ways which would cause Jesus to drop his head in shame and reject you? If so, then leave that job. Tonight, there is nothing important enough to stand between you and God. All that you have and all that you own all that you know in this world is temporary and fleeting and is soon to be gone along with this entire world. And only eternity will remain. Pluck out and cast out that which causes you to sin and cling to, desperately cling to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. As always, we sincerely hope that tonight's lesson would be beneficial to our listeners and we at the Gospel Light are always ready to welcome questions and comments and feedback from any of the lessons that you hear on this show. Good night, and thank you for joining us for tonight's presentation on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When I see the
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning in to our broadcast on this evening. We certainly appreciate those who have been following our radio show on Blog Talk Radio, as well as on social media, Facebook Live. My co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, he answered our shout-out question on the broadcast tonight. He was live on Facebook. You can go to his Facebook page and see that presentation. He did a great job answering that question. That was a very tough question. I hear that question a lot. He did a great job. And I want to thank my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, for his lesson on the broadcast today. Frank always does a great job as well, and my co-host, Tim Ben. I'm just appreciative of all these men who join me uh, in their efforts on this broadcast to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and I don't take any of this for granted. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast, and it's our prayer that the lessons that we're given on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord's been strengthened, because you're not only tuning in this radio show, but you're giving yourself over to a study of God's Word. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. I want to behalf of all of my co-hosts on this radio show. We really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Let's 